I'm glad you're here. This is like Resurrection Day, so this is, this is a big thing. This is the historically the biggest day in Christian living the, theologically. It's, this is the key day. The things that happen on this day uh, just rock the world. So for 2,000 years, things have been different as a result of that, which is why the stores that you've been into have these pale colored jelly beans and plastic eggs and and there are whole groups of people all over for the last few days or a couple of weeks have have um, taken different kinds of eggs the, the if they're chicken eggs they put paint on them and color them and then they hide them and tortured children who have to run around with baskets gathering them. And, and it's fun to watch that. Our kids and grandkids have, have outgrown them except the ones in Arkansas. So we got to go do that later. And which is just, you know, that's just part of the celebration. What is it that draws so greatly? And just think about this around this time of year decorating according to the colors making sure that people get the meal that they get to hide eggs and it becomes the driving force you ever notice that like christmas it's about the gifts and the family and a lot of churches close because they go when if church is on sunday which often is and and christmas shows up on sunday they go well it's family day Huh. Is that really so? Is that that's the point, right? That all of these things are really so where does most of the time go for most people when it comes to this thing we call Easter? The meal? Gotta really plan that. Getting the family together, friends together, whatever it is, doing some things for the kids. We think, think, think. What about Jesus? What about what he did? What would be more appropriate for this week than chasing colored eggs? Fun as that is. Probably visiting a cemetery and going, you know, this is where everybody's going to wind up. This is it. Just go read names. Look at the dates, and you see that none of them made it a thousand years. It's surprising, isn't it? They don't last forever. Somehow in our heads, we think we will, but they didn't. So here we have a whole world filled with proof that people only last so long. They will be buried, or something will happen to them, but their lifespan here on this earth is limited. What would be the most remarkable thing ever? The most remarkable thing ever. It's not a cure for cancer, heart disease, better nutrition, life after death. Coming back from the grave. Who did something about that? By golly, let's go find an egg. That's the appropriate response to this. Huh. So, 
because I was thinking so seriously, I thought we should call this sermon Easter Eggs on this Resurrection Sunday. But for another reason, there are in the scriptures, hence, Easter Eggs. I don't know if you've heard that term used for movies and people that watch movies and go, oh, there's Easter eggs about other movies or other books written or themes. And so if you watch some Star Wars and you go, oh, but that one's referencing so-and-so back over in this other thing. Or if you watch the Marvel movies, you go, oh, that's, that's talking about this guy and there's Easter eggs hidden all over. If you watch Disney movies, they've got Mickey Mouse hidden in those animated movies all over the place. And you got to... You got to you just pay attention, and there things are there, and they're there to make it fun and and just kind of tie everything together. God thought it would be cool to put in the scriptures little hints, Easter eggs, that you can go find in scripture that point to this most important person of all, and it lets us know something about him, who he is, what he's done, what he's, who, what he's accomplished, and what he's still yet to do. So we get parts of it. So let's look at some of that. And this is, here's some hints. And they are from, I'll read these uh, different ones off to you, but Galatians 3, 16 to 18. So in Galatians, this is Paul writing to, to the churches in Galatia, and he he. He's tying in some of these things. So he spotted Easter eggs, and he's bringing them forward because Galatians is in the New Testament. The Old Testament is what he's referencing, so we're going to look at, at what he's talking about. So verse 16, God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child, and that, of course, means Christ. So he's talking about Abraham, who was the father of the first guy. Abraham and Sarah are the beginning of everything that becomes the people of, of Israel later. And later we call them the Jewish people. But that whole line of, of folks begin with Abraham. So he's referencing back to God's conversation with Abraham and the promise that he made there. And he, he says, not to his children, but to his child. So if you're reading through the scriptures and you're doing the, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year, the main important thing in reading through the Bible in a year is to make sure that you get all the chapters of your Old Testament reading, a psalm, and a New Testament passage so you can check the box and move on to something else. Not true. should actually read the scripture to dis- discern what is God saying. What does he have to say to me? And so here, Paul is pointing out, you know, there's a difference. And it makes a difference. It's not children, it's child. Who is that child? Who's he, who's he talking about? So verse 17, this is what I am trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. So this thing with Moses. Now Galatians, the issue there has to do with do we keep the law in order to 
be delivered, to be saved? Do we keep the Old Testament uh, Hebrew law, the agreement that was made with Moses? And Paul's saying, no, that was never the case. That it was never the case. The promise was given to Abraham about this child, and it's about believing. It's about trusting him. It's about looking to him. Never about keeping this list. Huh. We get a hint. We have an Easter egg. All the way back to that first conversation with Abraham in the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. You go, well, that might be important. Maybe he's letting us know something. Maybe there are hints to things that would help me understand what it is God's accomplishing over history, over time. He just gave us, there's 430 years later, Moses. And and usually around this time, because it's you know Holy Week, Easter Week, they, the uh, used to anyway, the state and the main stations would play the Ten Commandments, and you could watch Char- Charlton Heston rescue the people out of Egypt, and so you get the whole Moses theme going on. This is also Passover time, so it really is a time when people reflect back on the law and on Moses and deliverance. But that's what he's talking about. He's saying, now think back. So did that change things? What if we don't know anything about Moses? What if we don't know anything about the law or what it was supposed to do? What if we assume we already know all these things and we don't need any more? Well, that could get us into trouble. If you don't read labels and you just drink whatever's in the cabinet, any, ba- any bad thing happen to anybody doing that? We should read this and understand it. And we've been given Easter eggs, and they're all through the scriptures. So we have Galatians, he's looking back, and he says, it's not, child, it's, or, it's not children, it's child. So we need to look at that. It's about a promise about faith, believing in him. Uh, 15, uh, sorry, Deuteronomy 18.15. In Deuteronomy, this is, this is back in the, in the early Old Testament section there, um, he says this, Moses continued, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Okay, so Moses is giving this information and saying somebody's coming, coming along. He's going to be a prophet like Moses. He's going to lead the people out of slavery, bondage, uh, Worshipping the wrong gods, turning to the one true God, following him. That prophet who's coming is the one. He's representing God, and he's going to lead you out. Listen to him, which is really cool. So we get a little bit of, okay, there's a prophet. We should be watching for this prophet, and and he's going to be like Moses. So it's the whole nation. It's not just part. It's not just here and there. It's not just speaking to a king. This This is overall, changes everything. There is, just as a tie into this, there is uh, an account where Jesus is at a wedding and they run out of wine. And, and I know if you're from certain religious backgrounds, you're not supposed to have wine, but don't, don't get bothered. This is, this is a Bible story. So Jesus uh, is asked by his mother to uh, do something about it. And, and he's 
you know, eh, reluctant. Maybe this isn't time for the big miracle thing. And, and she I don't, gave him the look because there's no more conversation. And he does it. So what she does is turn to the servants, the people who are trying to get the wine together, and she just tells them the same thing Moses said. Go do what he tells you. Just listen to him. So they go fill the, the giant jars, gallons and gallons of water, and it all becomes the best wine ever just by listening to him. Moses is saying, here's the prophet. Listen to him. Is that a heads up? Easter egg given to us in the Old Testament saying there's somebody coming. He's going to be part of this tribe. He's going to be part of the family that comes from Abraham. And we get a a bit of a a story. So we know it's fellow Israelite. We know that uh, it has to come from the line of Abraham. And then Isaiah 11, verse 1. In Isaiah 11, there's this... Statement and and it becomes huge. This is a huge deal, and it says this: Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. So here's a a statement, and I'm referencing a a tree, but it's it's David's family, the king, you know, King David. God made promises to him about the kingdom, and this is going to continue that the he would always have someone from his family sitting on the throne. So all there's an authority connection to what he's saying there. Out out of this stump of David's family and and that's Jesse who is his dad, uh, there's connection to this. Will grow a shoot, a new branch, bearing fruit, it's from the old root. So it's connected, it goes back to the family, and then it's going to shoot up and be a whole new thing. And that word, branch, so if you're reading your scriptures and you come across branch, the reference is to Jesus. We don't have that name yet. We just have an Easter egg saying he's coming, he's going to be a prophet like Moses, He's going to be part of the family uh, from Abraham. He, he's the child. He's the one God's promised, the one who's going to deliver. We have that all the way back to Genesis 3.15. We have this thing building as each of these hints are given to us. But when you see branch, it will... Not every time it says branch, because you know sometimes it's talking about a tree. So when it's referencing this prophetic looking ahead or looking to him, he will be called branch at times. And you go, oh, okay, I get it. That, that's, not, that's not his real name. This, this is referencing Jesus is coming, the Messiah who's coming. In Zechariah, another prophet, we have these words from Zechariah 3, uh, verses 8 through 9. Listen to me. O Joshua, the high priest, and all you other priests, you are symbols of things to come. Soon I am going to bring my servant, the branch. Now look at the jewel I have set before you, Joshua. A single stone with seven facets. I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will remove the sins of this land 
in a single day. The branch is coming. The branch that he's referencing, and he's talking to these priests, and it's, I will bring my servant. What is, what is Jesus called? Was God his servant? So here's the servant, the branch, and he will remove the sins of the land in one day. One day. So who is it? Where do those Easter eggs take us? Because we're after the story, so we know things they didn't know. They're looking ahead with just bits and pieces, and we're looking back. But when we look through the scriptures, there it is. And it's pointing to him. And it's telling us he's coming, he's going to accomplish things that, that will change people's lives, not only in this life, but in the one to come. All of it. It's all coming. He's a royal son. This is from Psalm 2. This is, the, the psalm is awesome. So if you have a chance sometime to just sit down and look at this, not very long, but it's, it's filled with information about him. So, we've, so with Moses, or back to Abraham, that's 1,800 years before Christ. 1,400 years before Christ from Moses. And, and now we're looking at Psalms, which were about 1,000 B.C. So, Psalm 2. Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. That's verses 1 through 3. So why are the nations so angry? Who are the nations? Nations have, are uh, people groups, not always the political lines that we see on the map today with the little colors and every so you get a clue as to political agreement or alignments. The nations are the groups of people that are aligned together. They can be uh, together as a family or group of families. They can be a language unit. It can be a cultural unit, a religious unit, just all kinds of different ways that people are gathered together. That in Greek, and ethnos, and that has to, and we use ethnic, but this is ethnos is all of those, and they're all unique and distinct, and no one is missing. So here we have this uh, statement about. The nations and the nations, when we go back to Genesis, we find out that the nations rebelled against God. And you find it in Genesis 11. The peoples of the earth turned against them, said, we're, we're going to take over here. We will bring God down to earth and we will deal with him. We will have him do what we want him to do. And they build a big tower and the, God sees it and says, yeah, I don't think so, and he divides them by their languages. So you know that part from Genesis 11. The nations are scattered, so they go around the earth. And so that's why we find people where we find them all over. They are scattered, but God still wanted them back. And the nations are rebelling against him. He, he chooses Israel to be a nation that he could work directly with, he could give uh, the scriptures to, he could send prophets to, more directly, and he kept them for himself. So he's got he's got them, and he's trying to use them to 
let others know this is what it is if they had listened what it is like to walk with God and in the hopes that the other nations would say let's let's join them let's get to know God let's go back why are the nations so angry why do they waste their time with futile plans the kings of the earth prepare for battle the rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one and their statement, let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. See the rebellion? That's the nations of the world turning against God, saying, we've got a better plan. And we're angry. We've had it. The rulers plot together against the, the Lord and against his anointed one. Another bit of information there are uh, references to God as uh, God the Father is Lord, and then there's an anointed one, sometimes called the captain of the Lord's hosts or armies. He is Jesus before he's born, and he's showing up at ver- uh, various times throughout the the Old Testament through the Hebrew Scriptures. Again, Easter eggs, you're finding him, and you find out what he's doing and what what the plan is and and what he's accomplishing. They plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. So they know there's a second power, and they've turned on him as well. And what they want to do, let us break their chains and free ourselves from slavery to God. So why would anybody want to do that? Do you know many people who are living in outright sin, who want to spend a lot of time in the scriptures, want to get together with Jesus, want to hear from anyone who's walking with the Lord. I want to drink myself silly. I want to get take drugs. I want to kill people just, just because. And you go, all right, that seems weird. Why would you do that? And yet, driven by this desire to... I don't want God watching. I don't want, I don't want Jesus telling me what to do. I don't want the scriptures over me. I don't want to hear it. I just want to do what I want to do. And the nations around the world are in a rebellion against God. So what are you getting from Psalm 2? Let us break their chains. What chains? Let's see. God loves you. He wants to provide uh, the best life possible, which means love others, Live in kindness. Don't steal. Don't rip people off. Well, let's break those chains. We need to free ourselves from slavery to God. Who needs it? The nations of the world. Turning against the one that God has sent. Because they are rebelling against the anointed one. Do you know how many crazy ideas have come up recently? Just watch the news. And it's allowed in schools, it's allowed in public places. Do you know what isn't? Don't bring the Bible in, don't talk about Jesus. Why is that scary, even in America? Why would that bother people? Why is communist China so dead set against stopping anything that has to do with the Bible or Jesus? No churches. Burn them down, put the pastors in jail. Why? Why are the nations so angry? 
all these groups of people all over the world. Verse 4, but the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem on my holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son or he will become angry. And you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities, for his anger flares up in an instant. But what joy for all who take refuge in him. See him? See him in there? Psalm 2. And the world has turned against him. Watch it in the news. You can read it in articles and the books that are published and the movies that are made. And the Lord says, really? I have placed my chosen king on the throne. And some of this has happened and some of it is yet to come. So he's talking past tense, but it's future. It's prophetic. The Lord decrees, the Lord said, you are my son. Anybody know who that is? And Jesus became a priest. This is Hebrews 7. The book of Hebrews is not in the Hebrew Bible. It's in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 15 to 17. And he becomes a priest, but he's, he's not part of what the priesthood was like in Israel. So for the priesthood in Israel, they are descendants of Levi, uh, Aaron's uh, legacy. They have to be connected to that family and that family line in order to serve as a priest. And God sets them aside to do that role. They are teaching, instructing, carrying out uh, the the scriptures, the, the law of Moses and the sacrificial system. They handle all those things. But Jesus is a priest, and remember, he's from the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Levi. So he can't be a priest as those who were uh, serving in Israel. So he has, he's coming into this as a different kind of priest. And I'm telling you that he's different on purpose, because if you've seen images of this, if you've ever heard of this before, there are times when people will put Jesus as a priest and dress him up like he is the high priest in high priestly garments like in Israel with the chest plate and the stones and Urim and Thummim and the whole whole deal. He is not that. It's really clear. He is not that. He is a priest. Let's find out. This is from Hebrews. This change has been made very clear since a different priest who is like Melchizedek has appeared. Oh, boy. There is a name. 
Jesus became a priest, not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Judah, or Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. And the psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek uh, is a, he lives in Jerusalem, it's not Jerusalem yet, but the city that becomes Jerusalem, and he's the king, and he's also the priest. He knows the one true God, and he's serving him. And there are different people that that are in scripture scattered around who know the one true God, and they're not in the in the normal group that you would assume would be the ones, the only ones who knew. People all around the world knew. It's just we don't have all the records of a lot of that. In this case, Melchizedek is uh, serving the Lord, God the Father. Abraham goes on a in a battle with his his team, his group, and they have to rescue Lot, his nephew. And so they come back from the battle, they, they win, and they also get all the goods from this other army that they just, that other army was raiding different towns and taking stuff, so they had lots of goods. Abraham gets a bunch. They come back, and he gives 10% to Melchizedek. So why do something like that? Well, he's making an offering to the Lord, and Melchizedek is a priest. In Scripture, we don't have any history, it's just how the Scripture's written, but that he was born or that he died. So we don't have any of that. And uh, when you read through 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Samuel, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, you got the kings. He lived at this time, died at this time, and he did good or he did bad, and you get a little report. All of that with Melchizedek as a priest and a king, but he's a priest who has no beginning and no end. It's not that he did, wasn't born and wasn't a real human. It's just because it doesn't give those dates on either end, they use that as a way of just illustrating that that priesthood continues, that that this one that, that God is sending will be the priest like Melchizedek. He is with Abraham. Remember, Abraham's the father of everything that becomes the Israelite nation or the Jewish nation. Abraham's the head of all of that. What he begins is by faith, which is never overshadowed by Moses in the law. We covered that in Galatia, what we read from Galatians. So we've got this whole target here that says Jesus is something different. He is unique, and he is like Melchizedek, which is way before. This is Abraham, and we got 420 years before we get to Moses and the beginning of the whole... I mean, Levi's not even born yet. None of the kids are born. So we've got this whole thing coming later that hasn't happened. So he can't be in the line of uh, Levi or Aaron. He is back with Melchizedek, which means he is premier he is primary he is before and he is lasting just because of the way this is written you are a priest forever in the order of melchizedek so who is like that jesus became a priest what difference does does that make so he's a king we know he's going to sit on the throne of david he's a priest who takes the sacrifice and represents us to god he's a prophet who 
proclaims God's truth to us. But as a priest, he's praying for us. He's representing us. He's going to be there to encourage us. The priest, when you read through, they take the sacrifices and they sit down and they have a meal together. You find that in Revelation. Jesus knocking at the door says, hey, come on in. Or we hear him, we say, come on in. He said, I'll come in, sit down with you, dine with you. We'll have a little relationship. Yeah, that's what happens. Who was the sacrifice? What sacrifice did he take? Himself. He is the sacrifice. He's all of this. He takes his own blood, puts it on the altar in heaven. He's a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So when you read in Genesis about Melchizedek, just get ready because you are reading about some things that are going to come. It's an Easter egg. First Peter 1, 3 through 4, the resurrection expectation. Peter, the one who denied the Lord, who was so moved when the Lord accepted him, when he came back, resurrected, says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. Pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. An inheritance kept for you. But kept in heaven. Because anything here can be stolen or burned or destroyed. Not in heaven. That is, Jesus Christ, who has been raised from the dead, has made those things possible. The resurrection has changed everything. One day he will empty out all those graveyards. He has a plan for people. He has a desire for a larger family and wants to include all of us. He wants to have a people who are not rebelling, not fighting, but really do want to enjoy life to the fullest. And he says, I've got a way for you to do that. And there's more to come because there's a priceless inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. More to come. So focus, 1 John 5. John was there. He was there with uh, one of the disciples. He's there at the cross. When Jesus is on the cross, he's taking care of uh, Mary, Jesus' mother. This is later in the first century when he writes this. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come. And he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and he is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything, anything that might take God's place in your hearts. There's a difference. There are other gods. There are evil spirits. There are twisted ways 
and the culture around us. And all of those things have a way of grabbing us and pulling us away from the one true God. And John is saying, don't let it happen. It's all around us. Just don't let it happen. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. And anyone hearing that who isn't a believer is going to go, well, not me. Because control by the evil one means we don't see it. Fish don't know they live in water. That's where they live. Until somebody tells you as a child that you live in an atmosphere of nitrogen and oxygen, you just live. So how do you handle being controlled by the evil in this world? And you don't know the difference. Coming to him starts to make a way to break free from the evil that controls us in this world. And then we can see. We can see all kinds of things. We can see who he is. We can see that there is a future, an inheritance kept in heaven for us. We can see by looking in the scriptures that all through history, he's been there. He's been moving. He's been touching humans Moving nations, he has been at work and revealing himself all along the way. And we get to be uh, enlightened as to what he's doing now and where he's headed, where we're going, what's coming next. No longer controlled by the evil in this world. It's a great thing. And it all came about because he was willing to come, be born, suffer, die, be buried, and to overcome death when he rose again. That power is available to us now and will be with us forever because he is a priest forever. He's taking care of us. He's going to represent us, and he's praying for us, supporting us now. Keep checking out those Easter eggs. These are better than the plastic ones. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us some time together. Thank you for sending Jesus, for the hope that we have in him, for the direction that you want us to go, the life that's possible for us, the one you designed us for, one that is in paradise. Lord, we look forward to how you're going to bring those things about. Open our hearts and minds, Lord, to your truth to your love, Lord, that we might express those things to the world around us. And it is in Jesus, the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.